Hello, and welcome to NeuroCurious, a podcast about all things brain, body, mind, and culture, not necessarily in that order. I am a third of your hostess combo pack, Deborah Budding, joined by co-hosts Jamie Jones and Peggy Schaefer, and that reference was actually in honor of uh, the Game Bar podcast, who are on hiatus, so Mm. shout out to them. Uh, Okay, so today's episode is a follow-up to episode two, and we're going to talk more about neurologic music therapy, um, specifically more in terms of application and and how it's used. Last time was more about the science and the... um, the, the neuroscience under underlying, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's early. It's early. For oh, earlier than usual. Yeah, I know. Oh. We got coffee now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, for those of you who missed episode two um, and you would like to get up on the science, um, one, take a look at the show notes from that, and uh, you can also listen to the podcast itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, off we go. So I am really excited to be talking about this again today. I know we really delved into the science last time and talked a little bit about initial applications to things like Parkinson's and some of the the preliminary, or I guess the original research that was done in that area. I'm really excited to talk today about some of the applications to neurodevelopmental conditions and neurodevelopmental sort of challenges, since that's a lot of what I do. Um, And I know, Peggy, that I have made referrals to you in the past um, for children that had self-regulation troubles, a lot of kids who have sort of fine motor sequencing and kind of fluency challenges. But I just wanted to ask about other types of referrals that would be good or other sort of problems that are well addressed by NMT. Good question. Um, So the domain areas that we work on are sensory motor, cognition, speech, language, and affective. So in the cognition piece of it, we work a lot on focus and attention, obviously, memory, and then like literacy. So working on the sequencing of sounds and letters. So more of like a sensory integrative kind of pairing of visual information and auditory information at the same time using rhythm to help be that carrier of the information. Um, because we oftentimes see on spectrum or, you know, maybe not specifically diagnosed stuff that there's a fluency issue, not only in how they move, but in also how they're speaking and how they're putting information together in order for like reading. Um, oftentimes we'll see skipping over words, putting words out of order. And so helping to time it out because that to me, when my brain looks at that, I think of it like a speed issue. Mm Mm-hmm. So fluency, so having a hard time also, and I mean, okay, so also I get disorganized, but also the motor of your eyes. Right, right? and tracking. So the tracking issue, so being able to keep your eyes focused on the one line, right, and be able to follow through to the next, because a very common problem, both in the the community of um, people who are speaking and non-speaking, is that there will be a skipping ahead or a... um, Let's say a tracking below. So oftentimes as they're reading, they'll say a word in the line below it. Right. Right. So working on both the motor of the eyes and the timing of what's coming out and also how the information is being sequenced inside, you know, the stuff that you can't see. Right. So it's motor planning in all its forms. Correct. Cognition planning, everything. Mm -hmm. Ideation. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, 
So in the non-speaking community, which we can, I don't know if we really want to get into that so much today, but that's something that but I really work talk closely about it a with. Bit and it'll be good prep for when Darlene yeah, Hansen when Darlene comes, comes on. Um, when we're doing communication strategies, uh, I'm trained in facilitated communication. So when we utilize facilitation, um, we'll see a lot of people skipping. Um, so, for instance, they'll be spelling out the, the the word because, right? So we'll get a B and E, and then we'll get an S and an E. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really work on that piece just as much for the people who are speaking of slowing down, thinking your way through it, and getting through the order and the fluency of it. And for them, the motor piece is also their arm, being right, able to, right. to get out the, the information. Right. Um, so in addition to self-regulation, we work a lot on that. Okay. I don't know if that answered it specifically. Well, it, it but... does. And, and one of the things that I'm sort of thinking as you're talking is that in general, sort of disorders that are associated with sort of cerebellar functioning. Yes. Um, and that kind of fluency and, and rate, rhythm, and force mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So who is your ideal patient? So I know, and, and and I know, and I know it's somebody a, who shows up. And someone cooperates. who shows up. Well, and I realize in saying I have that a lot of thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, and, and there are many factors. Well, and I know, and it's, it's a loaded question. Maybe listening. So, um, <laughs> well, and also all thinking of all yeah. of you, right? But but not only like you know issues that are well addressed by NMT, but um, family support that's oh, required yeah. and things like that. Absolutely. Um, how do I say this? Okay, so the best candidate in my practice, um, or the best clients, are the parents who are first, first and foremost, the parents who are aware, okay, and self-reflective in their own process as a parent. In addition to um, their own bodies, I find if the parents are very connected to their own systems, that helps a lot. Um, not overly connected, though, right. because there can be a projection of like what they're experiencing is what the child is experiencing. We have to be careful of that. But but they are um, mindful of, first and foremost, the spectrum for me is my number one client base, I would say, as a movement disorder. Okay. So if I find um, people who are coming in with a lot of ABA background or looking at this from a behavioral standpoint, it is a lot of training to get them to really go with me in the process. So the first and foremost, if we can have an upfront understanding of, I'm looking at this as a movement disorder, right. then we have some space to move forward. How do you, what kind of language do you use to, to bridge that gap? Mm-hmm. Because um, certainly in the, um, in the larger community of autism spectrum disorder, ABA mm-hmm. is still mm-hmm. kind of law of the land right. and the sort of interpretations that get made about behaviors... Mm-hmm are are colored by that so how how do you speak with people about that like do you do it kind of in vivo like if a child engages in a behavior and the parent has sort of been trained to mm-hmm. respond to and interpret mm-hmm. the behavior in a particular way can you sort of step up and say hey you know this is how I'm looking at it right it is in vivo a lot and it's also very um I find the best way to get into it is actually to talk about it from the body perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'll actually identify body parts. So for instance, um, something very classic uh, that I that we see is the parents will come in and say they don't sit still. We you know they don't want to participate. They don't want to do this. Right? They, you know, uh, I just had an example this week of a, an assessment and intake, and the mom was saying, "Well, he just wanders around the room and he won't sit still and he won't sit in a chair." 
and, and the school complains because he's not doing this, right? Cla- classic. Yeah. How many yeah. times yeah. do we hear this, right? It's like not, won't, can't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I can already hear the language in that yeah. of like, okay, I can't go after this competency right now because right. we're not quite there. Right. So when I hear those words, I say, okay, let's just stop for a second. How was rolling over and crawling as a baby? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I don't get a lot of response, but it's starting to shift them to thinking about, let's look at how they're moving. Yeah. Oh, they didn't crawl or they crawled really quickly, but then went right to cruising or uh, they crawled a long time, but it was sort of this weird crawl, like one leg came up or it was just an army crawl, right? And so I'll go to those places and say, okay, well, what if what we're experiencing is a low trunk issue, right? So when we sit and we take our legs out of the equation of giving arousal to our body, it's very hard to hold our bodies up if we don't have these systems in place, this robustness in the sensory motor system. So he's walking around to get arousal into his body Mm -hmm. because it is too hard to sit. But to label it that he doesn't want to participate is not valid. Yep. And that tends to be a way to get into it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and that's also this whole idea of using reward and right. like a reward uh-huh. punishment to shape mm-hmm. behavior where it's not appropriate. Correct. Right. It's not appropriate to try to shape behavior that's not within your control. Right. And then it's, you know, that it's yeah. essentially a sensory motor mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, there. There are valid uses for behavioral interventions, absolutely, um, and valid places for them. But I think because people are lacking training in sensory motor views of development, they're they're misusing tools, in in, in a sense, sort of spoiling a tool's usefulness because right. it's not being applied in the right yeah. circumstances. Well, and I love to hear how you sort of, you know, explain to parents, you know, one of the reasons children walk around the room. Um, one of the things I've said to parents with similar children is, you know, they, they don't want to participate. And I'll say, well, they do, actually. That's mm-hmm. why they're walking That's around right. the room because they're, <laughs> yeah. try, right, they're trying to keep <laughs> they're trying to arousal away. levels yes. up so that yeah. they can participate. Right. Um, and I, sometimes it's hard to get parents to see things, you know, from a differing perspective. Right. So I find the best access point is to talk about the body. So the first sessions are always moving. I mean, unless we have a really low system that is incredibly difficult to get around. But even the lowest of systems, I find walk great. I yeah. mean, that that is a, a, a easier task, which kind of goes back to our last podcast of talking about how biological rhythm and gait is. Yes. And... um So anyway, so I I oftentimes have the clients walk and I'll have the parents in with me saying, okay, let's stop, you know, and I don't like to talk too much about the client, but let's look at the arms. Are the arms swinging? Um, And then I have an intervention where I'll have them hold on to poles to do an arm swing. And I say, look at the body without an arm swing and look at the body with an arm swing. So using these more concrete visuals help to bridge that gap for parents um, who are more on the behavioral looking at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. A lot of times the parents will say afterwards, well, I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> how often do we uh-huh. hear that? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, this is my thing about the, the way we end up, you know, large, we society wise end up pathologizing and making behaviors sound like they're willful or intentional when 
sometimes they aren't and also sometimes they are but the intention that we're ascribing is not correct right 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 oh I agree so what would you say to a parent who was sort of stuck on you know quote-unquote fixing behaviors is there a way to kind of talk about NMT use for sort of helping with problematic behaviors you know, because you say, well, actually, you know, it might even help a child with their attention. Um, or... Can you give me, like, an example of, I'm just trying to think. Um... So a parent who's fixated on, because I get a lot of these kids, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, child is now eight and still needs reminders mm-hmm. to brush their teeth in mm-hmm. the morning, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Child cannot sequence, wake up, brush your teeth, get dressed, and the parents are focused on the behavior of it right. rather than sort of right. the motor sequence okay. and, the, and the planning of it. Um, well, okay, so there might be a couple. This is where it gets tricky because there are a couple things at play at the same time, right? So there could be a, most often working memory, attention, focus, these kinds of issues at play, as well as the, the movement, the sensory motor. Um, how do I answer this? Oftentimes people will assume that there is a lack of um, understanding of the steps that need to take place to get through something. I tend to disagree with that because I think that they do know, they just can't retrieve it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the difference. So using mnemonics, so like ABCs, you know, that's an an example of a mnemonic device. So uh, the rhythm, the melody is the carrier of the information to help you to recall it can be good, right, to help with just the retrieval of it. But it has to be applied in a way that is functional because you're not going to sit around and sing a song all day out of context of the actual exercise, right? Because then then it becomes almost ABA-ish where it's repeated after me. What did we say, right? And so you have to be very delicate in what the issue is. What I tend to do is also um, chunking. Mm -hmm. So... How do I say that? Uh, Chunking refers to taking a lot of information, right, and breaking it down into pieces. Because for individuals that I work with, scaffolding or structure is imperative to containing the information and using it. Um, I tend to take a least to most strategy. So if somebody doesn't need the parent to be in the room with them to do the brushing of teeth, oftentimes a timed reminder can be helpful. So, okay, you've got three minutes. I want you to think of the song or what have you, right? You can just hum the melody. You can sing it beforehand. And then I, if the if the, we're working on this in, in an ongoing process, the parent leaves the room, right? So now it's up to them to get try to get themselves through it. But before that, and I hope this isn't too disorganized, um, I'll ask the parent to give the, the client deep pressure into mm-hmm. their body because mm-hmm. now we're working on the motor of the right. exercise too because they may not know where their arms are in space. Right. Yep. The sensory motor. Right. So there's numbers of things that go into it. And this is why the parent piece of it is so huge. Yeah. Because I'm not in the bathroom. Right. You know, I'm not the one there. So the parents also have to carry that information over. Mm -hmm. So the more that the parents can understand the sensory motor piece of it, the more they can help them at, at home. So does that make sense in terms of the chunking and the... Yeah. 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 So when you work with kids, are their parents typically in the room? Mm, yes. Um, that's not common sometimes. I know um, 
there can be healthy relationships that that can be okay and then there can be difficult times when um how do i say this the the there's this uh loop that goes on between the parent and the child where um i had an incident where there was a lot of scripting going on from the daughter and the mom was in the room and it was like a magnet because the mom was having a hard time pulling away mm-hmm. and not reinforcing that loop and so when the daughter was scripting I knew she was just scripting because she couldn't pull herself out of it right but the mom was having a hard time not engaging in saying what the daughter wanted her to say right right and that gets misinterpreted sometimes because at least in my opinion um, because people think it's mean if you don't engage with the script right and in fact I see it more dysregulating to the client yeah absolutely can you go into that a little bit more? Because I I think um, our listeners may not all kind of understand what, scripting, scripting, what it is, and right. how, you know, different ways that people look at it. Sure. Um, scripting is sort of that, um, you can have verbal scripts, so you can have people who are verbally scripting out loud. So a lot of movies tend to be, uh, for some of my clients, there's a lot of scripting of movies. But it oftentimes is in context of what they're trying to communicate. Right. So it's, I mean, it is a form it's, of scaffolding. It is, absolutely. And it's a form of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube is another one that people use a lot of. So I call them like verbal scripting, but then there can be visual scripting. There can be thought scripting. So you can see a bunch of scripting that goes on. Um, for instance, one of my clients, would, before we knew that she was able to type and get through communication, would go on YouTube and pull up videos, right? And she could, she could navigate her way through typing in like Elmo or something. But she would put the cursor right on the moment when Elmo was saying, but I'm happy, but I'm happy, over and over and over again. And finally we went, oh, she's telling us she's happy. Yes. Right? There's a purpose to this. But it becomes disinhibitive, meaning the scripting can't stop. It's a stuck loop. Yeah. I refer to stuck loops a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not that they want to be doing it all the time. Oftentimes when we type with people, they'll say, do you think I want to do this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had one guy type. I said, how's it going, man? How you doing? And he's a young man. He's 21. And he typed, well, apparently I'm still autistic. <laughs> <laughs> and we had the heartiest chuckle for about, I couldn't stop laughing. I was crying. It was hilarious. And, but, but. There's these moments that happen, and then if visually you look at his face, he has a completely flat affect. But that was stinking hilarious. That was, yeah, that was so funny. Yeah. What a sense of humor. Yeah. Well, apparently. <laughs> so, um, so there are these moments where you have to really gauge and judge what you see versus mm-hmm. what reality is for them. Well, again, this is why um, if people had better training in sensory motor function, and, you know, I, I don't like the description of autistic people as being trapped in their bodies and right. that kind of stuff because right. it's creepy. Yeah. Um, but I do think that understanding something about motor programming and sensory motor function and the disconnect that can happen, right. you know, right. I mean, this is a classic Parkinsonian thing, it is right? Like masked faces. Uh-huh. Stooped posture. Uh, uh-huh. That is, that is, you know, also why I think NMT kind of naturally... It does fits within that treatment environment. It does. Absolutely. 
Um, a lot of people in the non-speaking community will say that they refer to their bodies in the third person. Mm-hmm. So it won't listen to me. They, in reference to the legs, arms, things of this nature. So yeah. I understand the whole trapped in body kind of thing um, concept, but they themselves will communicate how yeah. separate it feels. Yeah. And, and how frustrating that is. Right. And so rhythm, like we said in the last episode, is such a great tool because it is subconscious. It's not a training. You don't have right. to be trained in rhythm, quote unquote. I mean, the, the right. therapist does, but our brains are just wired to right. understand it. You know, it's, it's interesting because I was just, I was telling somebody the other day about NMT and mm. about, about your work and um, they all, the people in their family are, you know, musically inclined and we're talking about learning to note read for somebody who plays by ear, mm-hmm. really good at piano and one of the things I suggested was, well, you know, if you want this person to learn how to sight read, mm-hmm. why don't you ha- have them pick up a new instrument? Right. And, Change the and, picture. Ch- you know, and, right. and it's because how frustrating to be really fluent yes. by ear at a skill and then have to slow yourself down in order right. to learn how to read the music. That's um, So what a great true. opportunity to pick up another instrument, learn the other instrument, and learn how to sight read while you're doing that. Completely. And um, what I was going to say to that, too, is... People whom I work with have a very big love of music. They love, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a very big drive to enjoy music. Almost every intake the parents talk about, music is the one thing mm-hmm. that we feel like we can get into them or that, that we use as communication um, if they don't have other access to that. And my response is always, well, then I'm not going to use the songs they like. Right. right. And that right. tends to be something that people use in other strategies where, oh, we like Elmo? Okay, we're going to sing Elmo, right. or we're going to sing Barney. Barney's another big one. Yeah. You know, oh boy. Well, but this also reminds me of real social skills, talking about how, you know, is it, when you're autistic, the last thing you want to do is let somebody know what you like. Exactly. Right. Because, because then it right. will be used as a reinforcer against right. you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and also, to be fair to the individual, I yeah. may not play it the way that they want it to be played. Right, right. And, you know, sometimes I don't like other people's versions of music, you know? Like, right. I don't like cover songs of a song because I want it in that version. Right. So the same rules apply. So for me, I don't tend to use music um, that they like, which sounds sort of uh, mean, I well, guess. Well, you are super mean. I'm so mean. I am. Well, I am kind of mean. Yeah. But it's okay. I have to be sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so when when we do that, it's not about... Also, I'm also about just rhythm in general. Right. But I don't want to take the enjoyment out of something that they really enjoy. Right. And, uh, if they enjoy it, fine, I'll do it. But most people don't. Yeah. No. Most people, it's dysregulating. Um, so how, what? sorry to interrupt, how do you explain NMT to parents? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, it's a long conversation. So my intake conversations tend to be about half an hour long <laughs> because I want to make sure I touch all of this and want to make sure that they're on board. Um, with it. So I tend to be kind of wordy about it. But um, I describe it as um, an example I give is like, uh, okay, so you're sitting in a restaurant and your foot starts tapping to the beat. And you go, oh, I'm not thinking about that. My foot's just tapping. Oh, okay. But if I don't prime it by saying it's a movement disorder, they don't understand why that's important. Right. So first and foremost, it has to be that I view spectrum, even ADHD, mm-hmm. all of this as movement it's disorder. All the, right. It's all movement disorder. That's right. And <clears throat> then from there, I bridge it into not getting too deep into the neuroscience of it, but to explain why rhythm is so important to sensory motor function. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
it's not a short conversation. Well, it's just the reason I asked is I was imagining that it can be fairly challenging because I know, you know, at feedback sessions where I recommend, you know, NMT and parents ask me, well, you know, how does that how yeah, does that help? Sounds, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I do my best, sure. and it's like, well, you know, if you have problems with fluency, then rhythm will help, mm-hmm. you know. And it, But for me, it's intuitive. So then to try to explain that to a parent. So, of course, I always cop out and say, ask Peggy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of those. It's a delight. No, just kidding. I love it. Um, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I think we wanted to talk about is how do you decide which musical modality to use with people? Mm. That's a big one. Um, I start least to most, <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. So sometimes for some people, it is drum, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's all we can do. Um, an example is a couple weeks ago, I had somebody new come in, and we were having a really good rhythmic flow. I mean, just in the energy as well, but as much as we were getting some good movement going on. And I picked up my guitar, and I strummed one chord on the guitar. And you, I, I, he looked like he was in pain. Yep. Um, wincing, whole body changed, ran to the corner, and went down. And maybe for somebody else, they would say, oh, maybe you scared him. Which I probably did scare him. Right, but startled I, him. Right. Yeah, startled him. But I look at it as he's flooded. It's too yep. much. But he wants to enjoy it. Right? right. I mean, I'm not assuming that he hates the guitar. I'm looking at it as we got to work up to this. Yeah. Right? Um, and we got to work up to it slowly, uh, within reason, you know, mm-hmm. and challenge it. But as they tolerate more of the movement, they tolerate more of the auditory information. Mm-hmm. So the more we can walk forward and backwards and sideways and different posturing, funny enough, guitar is not a problem. It's interesting too. It makes me think about sort of the, the difference, the experiential difference between a single note and a chord. Mm-hmm. Different right sine waves going mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. lots, yeah. So plucking can be more tolerable than a strum, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the volume, but interestingly, the timbre is just as important yep. as the volume. Mm-hmm. So I can play a xylophone for somebody, and the timbre doesn't bother them. But then I play a xylophone for somebody else, and it's like, you know, again, well, same reaction. This is why I think that the, the clinical acumen piece is so important because it is so individualized uh-huh. in terms of the baseline that you come to with somebody. Mm-hmm. Very important. And very important to understand and empathize with what they're experiencing as much as possible. But I mm-hmm. wouldn't know this if I didn't have non-speaking um, clients. Yeah. I really Tell wouldn't. Me. Can you talk about that just a little bit more? They are, my clients who are non-speaking have taught me everything I know about autism. Mm-hmm. Because if you understand what they're going through in a very mm, nuanced way, and you understand how difficult it must be, but also how joyful they can be, and how mm-hmm. intelligent and, and unique and gifted they are, you can apply that to any person. I mean, it's changed everything. Yeah. And it's really incredible to watch someone go from not communicating to communicating. I mean, um, I had a guy come in, and they were more behavioral-based. And the uh, the loop, okay, so we can talk about this reward loop stuff too yeah. a little bit, um, was he would be down on the floor, right, on, on his stomach. And I'd say, okay, it's time to get up. We need to get up. 
couldn't get up, right? Really hard time. And he heard his mom say something. I forget what it was. Some word. Like, so-and-so. I think maybe she said his name. And you could have thought this kid was like, I mean, he, he, bing, up he goes, runs over, bites mom's hand, and goes back down. All right? And then mom, obviously, has a reaction. But I said, so what it... What is this going on? Can you give me insight? I mean, I see this all the time. I see this loop go on all the time. Mm -hmm. And I asked the mom, so what is this about? And he's non-speaking. And uh, she said, I don't know. This happens all the time. I was like, well, what's all the time? I don't know, like seven, eight times a day. I said, okay. All right. (laughs) That's, this isn't, this isn't working. Right. Right. This is, there. There's something about this that's not working, but it is working, if you know what I mean, right. which you can kind of speak right. to that yeah. reward system of, right. it's working. What is he doing? When is he doing it? Well, guess when he's doing it? When he needs to get up off the floor. Yeah. So he overshoots, yeah. Yeah. and he uses mom's overshoot as an arousal for his body to get himself up, but yep. he's created this sequence that is not going to work when he's 18. Right. It's not working now, but it's not going to work. But if... But he needs to get up, damn it. Right? That's his okay. thing. Like, he's got to get of up, but then he, he can't, then he overshoots it. It's like, oh, it. then there's a bitey piece. There's right? the bitey okay. piece, right? right? But see, mom, mom participates in the loop by overshooting herself. Exactly. And she doesn't understand in that moment. She's actually helping him. Right. To get what he's looking for. And I'm not saying he's looking to be um, uh, defiant or um, disrespectful. He's this looking is to get up. He's looking to get up. That has worked to get him up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we add in communication. When he typed the first time, he apologized. Yeah. He said, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And the mom, of course, burst into tears and, you know, had this whole moment. But if we didn't have the communication piece to understand that it wasn't intentional, right. I knew it wasn't. But when I first started, I wouldn't have known that. Right. So that the non-speaking community has taught me many, many things. And the nuances of those reward sequences or loops... Are a parent even in ADHD? Are a parent? Oh in yeah. Well, and this is why people right. again people misconstrue the idea of reward is right. something that's enjoyable or uh-huh. pleasurable. It's mm-hmm. like nope, it worked. Yeah, that's all. It totally worked. It, yeah. it worked. So it's gonna you know it either it, it, and it worked can be a lot of things too. It, right. it met prediction. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or it resulted in something that you want to repeat, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it, it's, I, I wonder if we spent more time sort of educating parents about reward in that way, right. that it would help mm-hmm. um, avoid or at least help to repair a lot of misunderstandings mm-hmm. that happen between mm-hmm. people. Right. Well, and... Uh, I was just thinking in my head about um, that that it's tricky because as parents, if you have been in more of an ABA or behavioral trained sort of environment, you you have to come to the table believing that your child is competent to really get to this point. Right. Yeah. And um, that's hard. And there's a lot of shame and guilt that goes into that for the parents. So they have to be contained themselves to be able to go on that journey yeah. to understand, okay, my child who's not speaking is competent and I'm contributing to this issue. Right. Do you think it's helpful to explain to parents sort of the difference between 
how we behaviorally conceptualize reward, right? That notion mm -hmm. that a reward is anything that gets you to repeat a behavior and sort of the brain's idea of reward. Mm -hmm. I give the example of addiction. Mm. I don't I don't think that it necessarily is applicable to this population, but for I was saying to somebody, you know, when we see people's lives be severely affected by other substances, mm -hmm. they're not doing it because they want to ruin their lives all the time. Right. Okay. Right. So that piece tends to be a way to access the parents to say, oh, okay, I can see that this doesn't always have to be bad or good. Right. Um, and I know that there's a negative stigma about that, but I, I feel like I have to get something into them to understand. Well, and it's also habit, you know. That, oh, that, sure. That we, we really don't understand habit. Like as a society, we don't right. understand it very well um, on either the positive or negative. Right. End of it. Right. When it's everything, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, I was just going to ask you a question, and now I can't remember what it is. It'll probably yeah. come back to me at some point. What I wanted to say, too, about um, the sensory motor piece about facilitation is the reason why NMT fits so nicely with facilitation, which were, I think, you know, you guys had some questions about what therapies fit well. Yeah. So, like, for speech pathology or those who are trained in facilitation, this is a beautiful fit um, because... The movement and rhythm helps to prime the motor system for the movement required for communication. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about, in general, what therapies fit well with NMT, what therapies may be um, not good fits or maybe even contraindicated? Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that I experience in feedback sessions with parents, you know, kids I've tested is I frequently make many recommendations. Mm -hmm. and, and I know in doing so that that can be overwhelming to parents. And I tend to, when I write them, write them in sort of a, you know, order of... Triage it. Tri yeah. Well, and, but also in an order of importance. Like, yeah. if you're going to do one thing, do the first thing on my list. Mm -hmm. But sometimes parents ask me to, to even, you know, triage it more. Like, mm -hmm. what do I do first? What do I do second? And so I try to think about, you know, what are the things that tend to fit well together? What are the things that don't? I tend to say do NMT first, right? Mm -hmm. Let's get the regulation piece right. in order, and then we can talk about the educational therapist. Right. Um, but what goes well together? What What would be like? Don't do these two things at once. If there's anything, maybe there's not. Well, I think that that on the teams that I've worked with, I would say the closest pairing that we find is occupational therapy. Um. In, in so much as that we look at the sensory pieces similarly, or, or at least look at the sensory pieces. Right. Um, I'm not trained in occupational therapy, so I can't really speak to the detail of their training. But, okay, I'll put it this way. So, like, occupational therapy tends to put an emphasis on sensory, and physical therapy tends to put an emphasis on motor. Right. And I find NMT puts an emphasis on sensory on, motor. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's neurologically that separating how, the two how it be working how, right. is not really there however having said that the mentality of understanding competency based approach tends to be more incorporated into the OT world okay. um, but again speech pathology but not traditional speech pathology right. uh, facilitated communication like Darlene Hansen whom we'll have on later um, and oh yeah Reflex oh, locomotion. Reflex locomotion. Dynamic neuromuscular DNS. stabilization. I know. That's a yeah. really tight 
it's a beautiful combo. Fit. It is so yeah. sweet. It's a really great fit, um, which we'll have. Hopefully, we'll have Dr. Butler on to talk about that. Um, and oh, I'll start my training too. Yeah, so that'll be great. I'm yeah. super excited for that. Um, so those are great fits. I would say the fits that maybe I find to be less, you know, in sync uh, are those which use rhythm without understanding the reason for the rhythm. So <laughs> and I've run metronome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm gonna let her say that. Um, <laughs> She has no problem with that. But I've also, and I don't, I'm, again, I'm not trained in this, but I also have heard from team members about some forms of vision therapy that utilize a metronome to have the eyes go back and forth. Oh, that's, ooh, I didn't know people did that. Yeah. Oh, that's concerning. Um, so I'm, I'm, again, though, I can't totally speak to it. I haven't sat down and had training or someone teach me about it, so I might be off the charts, but... A lot of vision therapy will incorporate a metronome, um, but I'm not sure how they're how they're assessing the speed of the metronome. Exactly. I mean, and that met- goes back to episode metronome, two. You know, it's not quite a gun. No. You know, but <laughs> but I swear to God, it is such like it's such. Yeah. It can do so much good and it, yet yeah. so much harm. Well, it and is really well, profound it's because it's. It has to do with the pairing of it. I mean, yeah. I know even listening to metronomes, like sometimes depending on how it's set, See, that's right. I can find a metronome very soothing. That's yes. Right. right. So if it's yes. at the right, and I'm like, oh, this is relaxing. And there are other times that if it's like, I just want to throw it. That's right. Yeah. Like turn that rhythm. I'm just like, Bleh. this is why when I get home after work, <laughs> <laughs> why I'm not, metronome? Uh, why? <laughs> The long drive home after work is okay for me. Yeah. I have complete silence or I turn on music that matches what I'm feeling. But, yeah. um, yeah, it can be, I mean, this is why Dr. Tao wrote what he wrote about things like interactive metronome where, you know, it, it uses a specific training to understand what rhythm is appropriate for right. each system. It is yeah. not a one-size-fits-all No. Model. New and which goes back to understanding each person's profile and what they what their needs are, um, and what you're saying about the metronome is so true about the pitch. I have an app that I love because I have at least twelve different timbres that I can pick from. Mm-hmm. So we go through it, and even non-speaking people they point to which one they like, and yeah. sometimes it is really <laughs> well because I mean annoying, it, but it, it, for me, but yeah. for them it works. Well, but it makes sense because it is the age-old argument between parents and children mm-hmm. about music, yeah, right? It, right? It really has to do with what music fits the mood you're in, right. what music, you right. know, the rhythm fits. And it's like, right. turn that off right. because it's just so incongruous and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it, it's about the best fits, I think, are those that look at it from, you know, an individual perspective and understanding why are we going to set the metronome at this versus this. Right. And... Quite frankly, the cadences between walking and moving your arms are going to be different. And that's complicated to understand, but you have to be matched in some way. Yeah. We can get as close as we can to finding a cadence or a rhythm that can integrate both. Right. But sometimes the arms are in a waltz and the legs are in a march. Right. Yeah. So yeah. do you find that cadence sort of changes for individuals day to day very much so and over right. the course of the day and over the course of the over there course you go. Of, yeah oh no over <laughs> the course, course of a session yeah um because if you have fluency issues you're going to have a hard time walking for a long amount of time at the same pace um so it's very classic of families coming in going we go for a walk and holy mackerel 
you know, <laughs> it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. No, but it's fast and then it's slow. And That's it's right. Fast right. And slow. Come on, come on, right. come on, right? Uh, or you know, safety issues. They right. shoot slow off, down. Yep. And then now we're at, a, at an intersection, and they're not stopping. Right. 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 So there's different pieces of that, but you have to somehow, you know, you go with what you get. I often find sometimes if we have a walking difficulty, bouncing might be easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More, so we can just sit on the ball and get a bounce and a rhythm going that way. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways to get at it, but it has to be matched to each movement. Yeah. So how can you reframe sensory seeking mm. in, a, in a sort of sensory motor framework? Framework. 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 We've so sensory seeking. Oh. Not a fan of that word. I, I use well, it. Well, I'm not a fan of that word. But it gets I'm, used a lot. It and gets it's used not... a lot. It, it got used in a call I received yesterday. Usually uh, occupational therapy uses that terminology. Yeah. Um, at least in my experience, but well, and disinhibition I, is the correct yeah, term. That's correct for sure. Yeah. Well, so do you just say that to parents? Do you um, say this is? I mean, we all know the correct word is disinhibition. I say just. Dis- oh, I use that term all the time. I mean, my opening session is all about rate, rhythm, force, start, continue, stop. So yeah. we sit down and we talk about all those issues. So I call back to it um, about this is a hard time stopping. Um, but if we no, go back to but that, I'm looking for sensory input. I must have sensory input. Really, for two hours you want to jump, <laughs> yeah. right? And then, and then when they type, they say no. No, yeah. I'd like to engage. I want to have a friend. Right. I want right. to have a relationship with somebody. You know, yeah. oh no, but they don't want friendships, didn't you know? Right. Please. <laughs> um, right. I'm sorry. I just get so annoyed with that. Oh, I think it's, we. I think we all do. I mean, I think we all get annoyed with the way things are framed. Right. That it's just like common sense goes out of the window. Well, okay. It's like, you're right. They don't want to have friends. You're right. They want to be annoying. Everybody they meet. Yeah. No empathy. No uh-uh. empathy. It and it is annoying. And it, it's you know it's dehumanizing. Well, and what I would say is, let's go back to that scripting piece that we were talking about. Disinhibition it is scripting, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I look sensory seeking as movement disinhibition. Yeah. A movement script. Yes. And maybe it starts out, it is initiated as, oh, that's interesting. I want to explore that, in, right? But, for right. instance... Which is still disinhibition. I'm supposed to be doing X, and I'd rather go engage right. with that right. over there. But then, okay, so then let me give you an example. The hand flapping, right? Yeah. Okay, so we see a lot of this, or I see a lot of it. And I have one guy where we try to drum, and bless his heart. I mean, I know he wants to drum. He has this look of, like, I want to drum. Mm-hmm. But my hands are not cooperating. <laughs> cooperating. But this is where DNS comes mm-hmm. into play, right? And reflex locomotion. We spent five minutes doing scapular input mm-hmm. where we were doing exercises on the floor, getting into his shoulders, hand flapping stopped. Mm-hmm. So there may be a piece where he's trying to wake his hands up and his arms up and trying to get information in, but it's not being utilized productively. Mm-hmm. His brain is trying to figure it out, but now he's stuck. Right. Well, and it's that, that link between... Um, Excitation and inhibition, mm-hmm. right? Like we were, um, Maureen Dennis, may she rest in peace. You know, we used to talk about, okay, what do you, what is it when you have excitation and no inhibition right, at the right. very end? What seizures is right. what uh-huh. that is, right? right. right. So uh-huh. you have to have excitation and inhibition both. That's right. right. And they have to be, they are in opposition, uh-huh. work, but working together. Absolutely. And so much of the time with movement problems that, that, 
balance between excitation and inhibition gets thrown off. Which is why we love the cerebellum and basal ganglia, and which is why rhythm is so great, because it goes directly into those structures to help to access them in a more regulated way. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's incredibly important to that. And and so when we see this um, self dimming uh, I don't know I'm trying to think about all the millions of terms that yeah. get used well and again with I mean I think stimming is an incredibly like interesting we could spend a whole episode talking about stimming, about stimming. episode yeah um, <laughs> rainbow looms yeah. anybody yeah but like you know uh, I mean, I think everybody stims. Like, that's like, uh, like yeah. everybody, everybody stims. Is, is your stim socially appropriate, right? Exactly. Is your stim crocheting, right. rainbow loops, right. Like, right? Right. Knitting, like, what's, or is it flapping your hands? And then, oh, I right. guess it's weird now. Right. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and oh, we're good on time. Sorry. So I, I just I said have, that out loud. I have yeah. a question that popped yeah. into my head. Yeah. I just read it. Like, so. Has has Dr. Tout or uh-huh. you or anybody else looked at people with Chiari malformations in particular yeah. and the use of NMT? Uh, I've had one client uh, that it was very helpful with. You're mm-hmm. about to have another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would I would have to think it would be. Well. Yeah. I mean, but I'm wondering if but, I, but like, that's that really interesting be, in terms of a specific research study. It has not been specifically Dis- dissertation. No, it Peggy? is not. Oh, yeah. Well, I have other things for PhD. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's going to, uh, so he's going to get an earful. <laughs> yeah. In a good way. I mean, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but, um, uh, yeah. Anyways, Chiari malformation is totally, a, a, I mean, I it's guess not, we should define what a Chiari should, malformation is. Yeah, you guys is. do that because you're the neuropsychs. Explain it. So, you're up. Europe. So Chiari malformation is a malformation of the cerebellum um, that can be various levels of severity. I have various arguments with neurologists who define them as asymptomatic if you are not if you don't have, if your if your cerebral spinal fluid isn't blocked, is is, right. is, is not yeah. blocked, right? Um, so you know, from a neurological perspective, if they don't require surgery, if they're not, you know, causing and it's where a, a portion of the hindbrain comes out through the foramen magnum. Yeah. So it's it's where essentially your your brain is not fitting into your skull and mm-hmm. it's squishing out the bottom. That sounds delightful. It's pretty fun. It's pretty not fun. Yeah. Um, and it can go along with other, um, it can go along with spina bifida. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, so there's different grades of Chiari malformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on, you know, actually a lot of, a lot of Chiari malformations are considered asymptomatic in terms right. of, um, Unless you had to get an MRI for something right. and it and it just showed up, you mm-hmm. would never know, right? Um, however, there are those of us who um, have a more kind of uh, deeper and subtle understanding of cerebellar function who would say that, well, mm-hmm. 
uh, no, they're not asymptomatic, right. but there there are differences in terms of again basic rate, rhythm, and force. Oh, yeah, of so in that in, in that was you know and I was alluding to the the disagreements with you know neurologists were like no they're not you know they're asymptomatic I'm like no there's not. not a arrow sticking right. out of their brain. There's no fine. right. It's like they don't need surgery, and I'm like they're not asymptomatic. Oh, they have they may not need surgery, but they're right. not but asymptomatic. They're not, you know they're not asymptomatic. They have you know issues with fluency. They have issues with rate, rhythm, and force. A lot of subtle balance problems. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't even know Tensions, how a neurologist calls that asymptomatic. A lot of nystagmus problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. You can definitely see it in eyes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a great research project. I know. We'll have to bring that up with Dr. Tout and see if maybe we can, <laughs> okay, we can go run around Toronto. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, there's no, to my knowledge, there is no NMT application research to it. Now, you can use the data based on the cerebellar ataxia issues that we've done right. with stroke right. um, to be able to support the application of yeah. you know, techniques to it, um, but it's not a specific thing. So. Hmm. All right, food for thought. I guys. know, huh? Yeah, and I was just thinking, well, and I was just thinking there's a journal specifically dedicated to cerebellum and ataxias. Mm -hmm. There is. That I happen to be be an associate editor of. Um, And I don't know that we've ever, like, specifically looked, had any article specifically looking at NMT Mm -hmm. interventions with ataxia. Oh, it's big. Well, I, that's not surprising because different worlds. I mean, we've talked about, you know, kind of casually about, you know, Different professions don't tend to play well together. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, right. So there's like a whole. That's part of why we do what we do is right. to bring yeah. the neuroscience research and bridge it. those differences. Bridge those differences. Right. Yeah. Because, because well, neuroscientist and MT. Right. 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 And to bring people together. Right. Well, I, I find in at least in my own interactions with neuroscientists that um, it's the application piece. Yeah. They're very interested in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's not a lack of interest. No. It's knowing that it is there. Right. right. Mm-hmm. In fact, I find the difficulty, in my experience, neuroscientists tend to be far more interested in application than clinicians are in neuroscience. Oh, absolutely. Well, they feel, I think they feel intimidated by it. I think they feel like they're not doing, <laughs> they're not doing good work or, you know, there's a hierarchy to it. But, I mean, as in with NMT and the basis of how it's founded, it's constant interaction between the clinic Right. Research. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's essential. That's no, a great model. I mean, it's really a great model for applying mm-hmm. research and mm-hmm. and making sure that clinical interventions truly are, you know, data based and scientifically based, mm-hmm. and not just the buzzword of, you know, I can't even think of it because I tune your right it. brain. No, the, learn um, a new learning uh, style. Evidence based. No, evidence based. Oh, and evidence that's a big based. one that Sally that, Todd that, talks about. Yes, that evidence based practice. But it's thrown around it's in a way. Very much well, it's like it's like packing yeah. peanuts, yeah. right? You know? it's, it's like true. the evidence-based packing peanut word, and it's yeah. just it, it, I it so becomes hated I couldn't retrieve it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it becomes yeah. insurance, is what it becomes. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. It's all about reimbursement. Well, it, it's well, and it's also a way of making people feel good about whatever they're doing. Sure. If they can, it's evidence-based. I'm like, that doesn't mean it works, right? Yeah, it's the application piece. It yeah. needs to be researched too. Yeah. yeah, but but again, a lot of it is because there isn't a common language among. Mm-hmm. They're they're really, 
But, but again, this is why I, I wish everybody was just started out being trained with a basic sensory motor neurodevelopmental viewpoint and then went off into their own specialty areas and how they can apply it. But at least that that is a common language that everybody right. can go back to and everybody can use and then go from there. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe someday within our lifetimes... Yeah, it's, it will file it under the world according to Jamie. Much would be different in the world according to me. Yeah. All, all uh, Trump would not be running for president in my world. No, Drama. not at all. Yeah. Nope. Um, all right, any, any last, uh, last minute thing? Oh, next, next time, I was going to say next week, but we don't do the weekly thing at this point. No. No, we can we can no. barely we barely, we barely muster this. Ooh, um, we did it. I'm yeah. proud of us. Um, uh, now we're going to go pack our offices because uh, yeah, so Jamie exciting. and I share an office, and we're moving it across town That's into great. a space where Peggy is going to come and be. Yeah. So it will be an integrated. <laughs> it's yeah, an integrated it is, it is the approach. First step we're putting in our the money world, where our mouth to is. <laughs> Oh, it's we're gonna actually, be great. It, it we're actually going to be doing integrated services. Yeah, and the and the first step in training people in a sensory motor sensory motor world domination. Yeah, there you go. Look out, we're taking over. T-shirt for that. We need. We should. We should get matching t-shirts. We should. Yeah. Sensory motor world domination. <laughs> um, so next time, um, Laura's going to come back, and we're actually going to have a microphone that plays with our microphones well. We're, we're going to have to tease her about not playing well with others. <laughs> Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, about executive function. Yeah. Um, so a sensory motor view uh-huh. of executive function and how mm-hmm. how these things can be looked at together. Different from executive function in quotes as it gets yeah. applied in yeah. other places. Yeah, Cortico, as opposed to the as opposed to the corticocentric view of executive right. function and what it is. Right. So. Um, and that actually is another good idea for another episode at some point, the difference between corticocentric and sort of vertically organized brain, which I think... large-scale network. Large, because I think systems. we throw those words out, and I don't know that we've ever yeah. really talked about what that is. I know we sort of allude to our view as it differs from others, but maybe a separate episode on what those differences are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know, if you're a fish, do you know you're living in water? And I think most people don't realize there's an alternative to corticocentric. Corticocentric. Yep. Say it 50 off. times. Say it 50 times. Um, okay, then. So now let's go around and everybody say their Twitter handles again. Peggy, what's your Peggy, show? what's your Twitter <laughs> handle? Oh, and by the way. I'm going to curse one of these, okay? And it's going to not be pretty because it's going to be an expletive. So how's Firewatch coming? Um, Have you gotten over that log yet? <laughs> Okay, so, um, no, but that would require owning a mouse, which I two weeks still ago don't, still don't have a mouse. Okay, so here's what's going to happen between this episode and next. You are going to come to my house, and you're going to play Firewatch on the PS4, okay. and you're going to enjoy the beauty that is Firewatch. I love without, the beauty of Firewatch. getting frustrated but, with the log. <laughs> uh, my execution, okay, she's trying not to laugh too hard, but the my execution of this um, is difficult and i'm gonna get there okay well you know what you could do but no i don't just, have a mouse just watch a child play yeah well he'll yeah. totally oh that reminds me um i wanted to give a shout out to a new podcast that is really cool mm. um that our friend sufi oh yeah 
Uh, it's called Pop Culture Coven. Mm. And their brief episodes are about 20 minutes Ooh, a piece. Cool. And they are discussions with people about a particular character. So the first one was with um, uh, podcaster and media writer extraordinaire Todd Harper about mm. Loexana Troy. Fabulous. What is that? Um, character in uh, Star Trek and oh. Deep Space Nine. Okay. Um, Deanna Troy's mother. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I'm so, so yeah. out of it. I'm, I'm, guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing that you're not going to be guesting Deanna on Troy? Sufi's podcast no, anytime, anytime soon. soon talking about a character. I don't think that's in my future. Yeah. Nope. Um, but so it's a deep, basically it's a, it's, they're just these incredibly beautifully produced deep dives into various characters and any different Okay. Aspect of pop culture. So it's pop culture, Kevin. Do check it out. Awesome. Um, well, okay, so let's move on from my Twitter handle to Jamie's over here. Oh, we forgot to catch up with your polka dancing. Have you been polka dancing? No, I've not been polka dancing. Although, I might be this Friday. Oh! Yeah. Rock on. Good. St. Patrick's Day, you know? Why not polka dance? Oh, well, yeah. With green beer. Yeah, there you go. Green beer and polka dancing belong together. Yeah. And you? Not going polka dancing. Okay. You should come. It's fun. I'll go. Hey, I used to, I grew up in a Polish household, and so I am very familiar with the polka dancing. All right. At Jamie V. VHD. At Nebula 63. All right, guys. It's real. Oh, and at We Are You Neurocurious. Oh, yeah. And at We Are Oh, at Neurocurious. Yeah. At Neurocurious. The one that nobody bothers to go on and post to. That one. Well, I set it up through the website, so it automatically. So posts. you do technically have a you Twitter do. handle. You have a Twitter twi- handle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so from now on, you can list that as yours. You are. Oh, I'll you be are. At it. You yeah, are. I'll be at neuro- neurocurious. There you go. I'm not going to check it, people. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening. And- Why did we do this? <laughs> Good God. We'll see you next time. See you next Bye. time. Bye. <laughs>